don't know about you, but there's something about that opening music. I've been hearing it all these years, something familiar, something comforting about it because we're on the porch. We're here together to get back to basics, examining the Word of God, especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, seeing how they served the Lord. This is where we dig deeper into Scripture. We find the church the Lord intended and not the man-made one. We need the one the Lord wanted. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining that world-shaking, fire-filled influence that the early church had. We believe the church age is still in effect because the day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button or write us directly at the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. you like to support us, we appreciate each and every one of you that do. Go to the Firefall Talk Radio homepage. There are ways to do that. Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. There have been a lot of technical difficulties over the last oh, couple of weeks, most of them Spreaker-related. But let us know where you're listening from. If you experience them, we're looking at some other options here, maybe broadcasting from uh, going back to blog talk and broadcasting from there or Podbean or whatever because um, Spreaker, since iHeartRadio bought them, if you didn't know that, um, always seems to be a little problem here and there. Still working on the new email list for the newsletter. Let us know if you want to be on it. A um, newsletter will go out from the old server, and then we'll pick it up either next month or maybe the beginning of the year with the new one. If you need prayer, let us know. It's what we do. We pray for each other in the porch community. Just contact us. We care about you. Father, you know our needs. You know our desires. You know everything about us. You know everything going on in this world. Nothing fools you or surprises you. And we're so thankful for that. We love you, Abba. We love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, our spirit, all of our strength, everything that is within us. We thank you for family, each and every one of us who are brothers and sisters in your family. I want to stop and pray for them right now, Lord. Some of your kids are hurting. They need a touch. They need to know that you know. Maybe they know it intellectually, but they need to know it in their heart. For their health, for their finances, for their families. But Father, you are everything to us. And according to your word, we're everything to you. You sent Yeshua to die for us. You sent him to shed every drop of blood so that we could be redeemed and restored to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the cross, for the empty tomb, for the upper room, for sending back your Holy Spirit to walk with us and to guide us. We ask, Lord, that you keep us from evil and the evil one. 
living in this fallen world, it's really difficult sometimes. But we trust you. We know we have hope in you that no matter what our eyes see, we do not walk by sight but by faith. And our faith is in you. Our faith is in your word. Our faith is in your promises. So we activate that faith right now as we clear our minds. We take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Messiah. We claim the mind of Messiah. We cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want to do. Say whatever you want to say. We ask for protection over the technology, over each and every one of us. Lord, let this be a night of revelation, inspiration, and let us take these words and do something with it. Become your light to the world, to set the captives free, and to prepare the way for the king. Do you agree with me? In Jesus' name, just say amen. So we're finishing an in-depth look at the final great apostasy. And as I said last week, we're not naming names. I was going to. I was going to name names and what they were teaching. And the Lord kind of put it upon my heart that that might cause more trouble than it's worth. So I'm just showing you what the deception is so that you can see it and understand it for yourselves. So let's go back to 2 Thessalonians 2. As always, we build line upon line, precept upon precept, before we get to the new stuff. 2 Thessalonians 2, starting verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Messiah had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, capital H, who now restrains, will do so until he, capital H, is taken out of the way, he is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Hasatan, Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception, 
among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This section is called the Great Apostasy. Apostasy is the act of rebelling, forsaking, abandoning, or falling away from what one has believed. It means you believe something, now you no longer believe it, and you've not just stopped believing in it, you have rejected it and fallen away from it. The New Testament word for apostasy is apostasia, means to stand away from. One minute you're here, now you've backed up a good distance. So here in Second Thessalonians, Paul addresses those who have been deceived into believing that the day of the Lord had already come. And he warned them that the apostasy would precede the day of the Lord. He gave them a sign marker along the way. And that day of the Lord is the period of time in which God will deal with the wicked men and women, the people of the earth, directly and dramatically in fearful judgment. A time of catastrophic conclusion on the earth. It's going to bring correction, redemption, and out of that will come renewal. The bloody cross declared it. His ascension started the clock ticking, and his return will set off the alarm bells to awaken us, to awaken the world to two things, a day of hope for the church and a day of dread for the rest of the world. So false teaching about this day of the Lord had been distributed and disturbed the Thessalonian church. This is still going on. Nothing has changed. The one thing you can be sure of, if Satan has a technique that works, he's going to keep using it. So we're given the reminder. First must come a great apostasy, a falling away of the faith, and then the unveiling of the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. These two will happen back to back almost simultaneously. One leads to the other. And the Messiah will destroy this man. He'll destroy him when he returns. When his feet land on the Mount of Olives and he begins to speak the word and begins to speak judgment and all those who have been deceived will also be judged. Don't get discouraged because you see what you see in the world. God's going to deal with it. He's in control. He's still on the throne. Go with me to Matthew 18. I want to show you how important this is to him. Starting verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble in sin by leading him away from my teaching, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone as large as one turned by a donkey hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe, judgment is coming to the world because of stumbling blocks and temptations to sin. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the person on whose account or through whom the stumbling blocks come. That was the amplified version. False teachers 
like Paul's talking about in Second Thessalonians, are worthy of judgment because of this. False teachers today are worthy of judgment. Now, who are these little ones that he's talking about, that he's talking about protecting, that he's talking about how important they are to him? Well, we need to back up to verses 3 and 4 of Matthew 18. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. His children are the born-again believers, and they are important to him. You are important to him. And though the thought of being drowned with a large millstone around your neck is a frightening visual, Yeshua warned that causing another to fall away from him will bring far greater misery than that. And the denial of the resurrection of the body, whether of the Lord or those who believe in him, is to overthrow the faith. It leaves nothing to cling to. No living Messiah who saves, no living Messiah who leads and comforts his people. He's just a dead teacher, a dead prophet. He's a plaster of Paris statue or something hanging on the wall, a religious idol or icon, and that is not who he is. He is alive and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and we will see him physically again. Paul describes this kind of teaching as a gangrene, which increases the more ungodliness. It grows and gets worse. If you don't know what gangrene is, an awful thing. It's when the tissue dies because of lack of oxygenated blood. The skin color goes from red to black. Whether it's a hand or a foot, it begins to get numb, and it begins to swell, and the pain is, is, is atrocious, and the skin begins to break, break down, and leads to amputation, and it can be fatal. And it must be stopped immediately with urgent treatment. We are the hands and the feet of the Lord. When the, lo- when the lack of blood, capital B, his blood, when the blood supply is cut off, when we are cut off from him, we are cut off from the living blood, we begin to die. Those who fall away from the faith, though their heart still beats, have begun to spiritually be consumed by this demonic gangrene these false teachers put out. We're seeing this every day, at least I am. I pay, I pay attention to what's going on out there as much as I can without letting it get to me. I see the teachings from all extremes. I see the religious spirit attacking one side. I see the lack of spirit attacking the other side. I see people teaching and preaching who have no business doing either. 
saw something on social media the other day where somebody claimed that the Lord's greatest disciple was Mary Magdalene, and I wrote out this long comment, and the Lord said, don't bother. So I just deleted it. Go with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. So, of course, the disciples being the disciples, they don't understand. They want an explanation. So we jump down to verse 14 for that. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These, likewise, are the ones who were sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Immediately afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, they, they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. The enemy can't stop the word from going forth. What he can do is he can stop the effectiveness of that word. He can immediately steal it. He can smother it. He can surround it with the cares of this world and sin and all the things that keep a person from growing. But when it falls on good ground, that seed is going to grow, and it's going to produce a fruit. And I believe that we're good ground. Why do I believe that? I don't know some of you personally, many of you. Well, you're listening to the Word. You're here every week. You have a desire to learn. You have a desire to know more. You want to run those roots deep. But false teaching steals that. Just as gangrene eats away the flesh, so does false teaching eat eat away the Christian faith the faith of a believer, the faith of somebody who knows the Lord, somebody who wants to do better, somebody who wants to walk uprightly. And Paul's very careful to say more than once that the teaching which denies that there will be a resurrection of the dead leads inevitably to ungodliness and to iniquity. Now, why is that? If you have no expectation 
of the sudden return of the king, you're not going to care about your behavior. You're going to think that you have time. And he mentions by name false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus and later on Alexander. These are people that concerning the truth have erred. They said the resurrection is past. And they overthrew the faith of the baby Christians whose roots had not run deep enough. False teaching steals the word. It rips it up from the root. And that root that grounds us and holds us, among other things, is the resurrection of the Lord. And what happens to people like that? They lose hope. And they fall away. I see this. I see it a lot. I've seen it a lot in my 30 Four years of being saved. Something happens. They lose hope. They begin to believe the lie. People I thought knew better, people I've prayed with, people I've talked to, people I know that have listened, at least I thought they were listening, have allowed the enemy to steal their hope, to steal the word, to steal their faith. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. You guard your faith. You guard your heart. Oh, my goodness, you guard it. Because out of it flow the issues of life. Don't let the enemy get in there. Don't let the cares of this world get in there. For so many, there's a feeling of despair. And that despair is all around us. People have put their hope in the wrong things. They put their hope in people put their hope in political systems. They put their hope in everything but the Lord and his word. And this despair brings a hopelessness that takes us over to we don't want to live anymore. And that it's a horrible, horrible, dark place to be. It's a horrible, dark place to allow the enemy to bring you there. If you see the shadows of hopelessness fling on the light, Open your word. Read it out loud. Turn on praise and worship music. If you have to reach out to somebody and say, pray for me, pray with me, but do not, do not allow the shadows to envelop you. Don't become hopeless. That hope, the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says, is a trustful expectation, particularly with the reference to the fulfillment of God's promises. Biblical hope is the anticipation, anticipation. Swallowed a couple of letters there, probably spit them out later. Biblical hope is the anticipation of a favorable outcome under God's guidance. More specifically, hope, here it is, is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. This contrasts with the world's definition of hope as a feeling that what is wanted will happen. If God did it before, he will do it again. If he did it for you, he'll do it again. If he did it for someone else, he'll do it for you. That's your hope. The Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of Hope says it is a favorable and confident expectation. 
similar words, hope, expectation, trust, confidence. And it has to do with the unseen and the future. Romans eight twenty four and 25, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. What are you hoping for right now? What's going on in your life around you, with you, to you? Cling to the hope, the expectation that he is as good as his word. He cannot deny himself. There's no shadows. There's no variance. That light is the light of the world, and it's always on, and it's always shining towards us. And we have a hope. We have an anticipation, a happy anticipation of good. Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God is not a liar. He's not a practical joker. He doesn't stutter. If he says it, he means it. First Peter one twenty one, who through him, capital H, believe in God, we who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. If you have First Peter one twenty one open, highlight your faith and hope are in God. Maybe you need to write it on a, a yellow sticker if you still do those things, post them notes or the digital ones you can put on your computer or your tablet or iPad or whatever, your faith and hope are in God. And we have a solid ground upon which to stand on. And when you're standing on that solid ground, these false teachers come along with their nonsense, with their lies. You won't be moved. Colossians one twenty seven. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Messiah in you, the hope of glory. Messiah in you is the hope of glory. That can't be taken from you. You have to give it up. Don't give it up. Don't let go. Cherish it. Hold on to it. Because our hope is fixed. Yeshua is our hope. So Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, I don't know, Yeshua is our hope. Not this world, not a fallen world system, not your bank account. He is our hope. But as I mentioned already, the opposite of hope is hopeless, which is what despair is. Despair in the New Testament means to utterly be without a way, to be quite at a loss, without resource, in despair. When you have fallen away, when you have gotten too far away from the Lord, when you've gotten too far away from the cross, when you've gotten too far away from the empty tomb and the power of the upper room, you are become utterly without a way. You have no resource. And the enemy brings you a package, special delivery, and inside of it is a whole lot of despair. 
2 Corinthians 1.8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we even that we despaired even of life. See, the apostles are talking about things they understand. I'm talking about things I understand. I've been doing this for a while now. Saved 34 years. Teaching 32 of those 34 years. Gotten better at it along the way, I hope. But there are times... The enemy sneaks in an attack. He sneaks in a word. He gets a little drop of hopelessness in your drink, in your fresh water. Don't beat yourself up over it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, picking up on that thought about suffering, starting verse 7. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power, the dunamis, may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Adonai Yeshua, the Lord Jesus that the life of Yeshua may be manifested in our body. This body you have, maybe it's like mine. Maybe it's got aches and pains. Maybe it's doing things it's not supposed to do. Maybe because the world did it to you or you did it to yourself. Guess what? You get a new one. See, that's that hope of the resurrection. That's that hope of the return of the resurrected Lord. You have a hope of a new body. But you see, if you forget that, if you back away from it, if you start listening to the lies, if that gangrene starts to set in, you begin to despair. And like I said, the enemy's glad to deliver that gift. He's, del- he's glad to bring you there and keep you there. And if he does that, if you allow him to do that, you have nothing to hope for except death. And this despair becomes a hopelessness that takes us over until we don't even want to live anymore. It's a horrible, dark place to be. That's why I said don't let those shadows envelop you. Don't listen to those lies. Don't speak those words over yourself. If you have, repent right now in the name of Yeshua. Remember, your body is listening to you. Every cell of your body is listening to you. The programming of those cells is listening to what you say, what you declare. Power of life and death is in your tongue. Don't speak those things. Speak life. Because if you don't, it'll steal your joy. And as I said, your will to live. And when you lose hope and you lose the will to live, the enemy's got you. 
That's why the Lord is so adamant about false teaching. That's why Paul's so adamant about false teaching. That's why I am right now adamant about false teaching, which is stealing the life out of the flock, which is leading them away with cotton candy teaching that's going to rot their teeth and eat their soul. But his words give life. His words bring peace. So if his words give life and his words bring peace, then who's the source of those other words? Who's the source of those other thoughts? Well, unless you have a history of mental illness or you're under some um, issue where you are mentally unstable, those thoughts cannot be yours. The, The God of all creation doesn't have those thoughts. They're not even in his nature. Well, gee, only only one creature I can think of inspires thoughts like that. Yeah, I know. Here he goes. He's going to go again. He's going down this road. He's going to say it's the... Well, before I say who it is, let me ask you a question. It's a very scientific question. If it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, walks like a duck, must be a duck. So why is it then when these thoughts and actions and events that reek of satanic or demonic influence, we want to discount that as the source? Occam's razor, the most obvious answer, is the answer. So who or what is the source of despair and hopelessness? Well, if it brings darkness, it's from the kingdom of darkness, and the king of darkness is Satan, and the false teaching he inspires. So that's the other thing about false teachers. They don't serve the Lord. They're serving the enemy. Now, they may not know that. They may not think that. They've been blinded. I don't see anywhere where God makes an excuse for them. I don't see anywhere where Paul makes an excuse for them. It eats away the body, and it's deadly. It overthrows the faith. And if it's not destroyed, it will corrupt the entire community of believers. It'll eat at the body until the body dies. So if there is no literal resurrection of the dead, as Paul talks about, if Messiah is not raised... his resurrection is denied, then Paul states we are yet in our sins and our faith in the Lord is false. And that would be hopeless. But you're not hopeless. I'm not hopeless. I have a hope. I have a hope in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I have a hope in the one who died on the cross for me. It's coming back for all of us, but in my mind, he's coming back just for me and you. That's why he warns Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 1, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You think we're in the latter times? 
Do you think we're in those times right now? Just go on YouTube. No, don't go on YouTube. I'll tell you about it. If you go on there, one false teaching after another, one supposed church teaching that's new age, another teaching that's supposed to be from the church, and it's got occultic aspects to it. New Age aspects to it. Leading people with the sensational and the the dramatic and, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could do this and do that? You can't even do the basics. Let's get back to the Word. Let's get back to the cross. Let's get back to the empty tomb in the upper room. There'll be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction destruction does not slumber. Second Peter 2, 1-3 He's talking future tense. He's not saying false prophets hadn't come yet, but what he's alluding to is Yeshua's prediction that false teachers would arise in Matthew 24. We are there. Matthew 24, 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and do what? Deceive many. 24, 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. If you agree with me and you don't want to be deceived, then you better know the word. You better listen. Let the word get in. Read it. Know it. So that when a false teaching comes along, you can say, You know what? That doesn't sound right. That's not in the Word. What you're telling me is not in the Word. If they say it is, ask them to show you. If they don't have a Bible, hand them yours. Say, show me in the Bible where what you're saying is true. So the Lord's prediction almost immediately began to become true. Denying the teacher, the master who brought them. As I pointed out, we have people walking away from their confession of faith. They no longer believe. They deny the Lord as Messiah. They deny him as resurrected. Oh, the word is good. You know, it bothers me when I see this. Obviously, I'm belaboring the point here, but it bothers me when I see it, not because I'm going to be fooled by it, because I know baby sheep will, because I know the little children will. These false teachers of Paul's day, of Peter's day, and of today, some of them are claiming that the resurrection and the return And the Holy Spirit's indwelling of believers isn't true. It's cunningly devised fables. 
If you hear that, walk away. Immediately walk away. Immediately turn it off. See, Peter, he could counter it with the faith that came from an eyewitness account. Peter was eyewitness to the power. And he knows that the Lord's coming back because he saw him leave. And the angels told him, just as you saw him go, you'll see him return. My hope is in that eyewitness account. My hope is in what I know in my spirit to be true. The power of Yeshua, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is available to us to live this life in a fallen world, to live this life under the control, in a world under the control of the fallen and the God of this world. And my hope, my hope is in the coming. My hope, the glorious hope that each believer has, the blessed hope of each believer is what? He's coming back. He's alive. See, if you don't hold on to that, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.19 that you lose that faith, you become shipwrecked. Like a ship without an anchor. You start getting tossed around by the stormy seas of every theological leaning, of every story, of every book, of every DVD, of every glamorous thing that comes out where people are selling it to you to make money, by the way. And you have nothing to hold on to. You've been uprooted. You've been set adrift by the slick lies of the enemy, by the waves of this world, by the storms of this world. I doubt any of you are, but if any of you have allowed something to come in that has begun to eat away at your faith, has begun to eat away at your confidence, right now in the name of Yeshua, I ask the Holy Spirit to burn it up inside of you and destroy it. Where is your hope? Your hope's not in me. I'm flesh and blood. I'll be here every Wednesday. And if I can't be here, I'll put up something. I am committed. I am sold out. Some people think I should be committed, but they mean something else. But don't put your hope in me. Just flesh and blood. No wounds on my wrist or my feet. No wounds in my side. Didn't shed every drop of blood. Didn't rise from the dead. I do the best I can with what I have to be trustworthy and reliable, but I only know of one who is strong and trustworthy, who is the anchor of our souls. Hebrews 6, starting verse 16, Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable 
because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. This hope is strong, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. Hebrews 6.19. Maybe that's another one you need to write down. This hope, this confident assurance we have as an anchor of the soul, it cannot slip, it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, the most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells, which, by the way, we have access to. Because then the writer of Hebrews, which I think is Paul speaking, Luke writing, seals the deal in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking and assembling of ourselves together, which can be done anywhere at any time in any place. I added that part. And it says the manner of some, but exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord approaching. Hold on to your hope. Don't let anyone steal it. Don't even let the enemy near it. Don't waver because he who promised is faithful. See, I'm stirring you up right now. I'm stirring you up with his love. I'm stirring you up with the word. Because I believe the day of the Lord is coming. It could come in our lifetime. I believe it will. I know others have, but I'm seeing signs that indicate to me it could be in the next decade or so. It doesn't matter. I live it one day at a time. Hold fast. Get that image of the anchor in your mind. Anchor it to something or the storm you're in will take you off course or worse will overturn the boat. You know, the great thing about anchors and boats and storms is you can't bolt down that boat so hard that it can't ride out the waves. Otherwise, those waves will pound it and break it into pieces. It must be secure enough but loose enough to ride out the storm up and down. I only know one anchor that holds like that. I only know one person that can do that. And he sits on a throne. His name is Yeshua. King of kings, Lord of lords. Hold fast to your hope. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. Don't let anyone steal it from you. Somebody comes along with a false teaching and sounds real good, like I call it cotton candy religion. If there's no meat, if there's no water, if there's no depth, you're free to eat whatever you want to eat, it's not going to help you. 
It's not going to strengthen you. You need something to hold on to. You need something to strengthen that inner person. You need a hope, and that hope is his return because he is alive. Now, getting back to where we started. Excuse me. Do you understand why the enemy would want to steal that hope? Do you understand why the enemy would want you to stop believing in the resurrection and the return? Stop believing in second coming. Stop believing in a millennial kingdom. Stop believing in a four-square city. Oh, that was all an allegory. None of that is real. None of that is true. No, sorry. Got to get away from you. You just told me a lie. I'm going to hold on to the hope. I'm going to hold on to Yeshua. I'm going to hold on to who he is. This great apostasy, which I know must come, and I believe that we are already in, I know that it will reveal the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. I do not believe the church will be here when he comes to power because he will instigate the time of Jacob's trouble. I don't believe the church will be here. And when I say the church, I mean anyone who believes in him, whether Jew or not Jew, any born-again believer is a part of his body, and he's coming back for that bride. We can't be here. We can't be here because the man of lawlessness must be released, and if the Holy Spirit restrains him, then the only way the Holy Spirit is not there to do that is if the church is not here for the Holy Spirit to walk with us and to teach us and to guide us. It's really not that hard when you put all the pieces together. This lawless one, this Antichrist, I believe he's alive. I do not believe he knows who he is just yet. But I believe as this world hurdles towards some humongous mess, he's going to step forward with power and signs and lying wonders And people are going to fall for it. Because they didn't receive the truth. That makes our responsibility to tell the truth so much more important. That's why it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm going to be here. And if I can't be here, I'm going to post something so that the word goes forth. I'm going to fight this apostasy. I'm going to show you the, the sign markers. I pray you'll do the same. And if you don't have the courage to do it, just send them the link. You can download these. They're not big vials. Send it to them. Say, hey, listen to this. Give somebody some hope. Lord, we need you. Oh, my goodness, we need you. Lord, I pray right now, if this spiritual gangrene has touched gangrene, not gangrene, I don't know who that is. Gangrene has touched your body, any one of your children, 
You healed the leper. You spoke the word, but you touched him out of compassion. Touch them right now. Whew. Touch them, Lord. Their heart, their mind, their soul, and their spirit. Heal them of that destruction of the tissue of the body. Heal your children, Lord. Reveal those areas of things that they've accepted to be true that aren't true. And release them from it. Release them from the disease and the sickness of it. And Lord, I pray that you would expose every false teacher, every false prophet, all those who speak out of covetousness and not out of your heart and definitely not the words from your mouth. I pray that they would all be revealed. You do with them what you will. You want to judge them? You want to knock them down off their pedestal? Whatever, but reveal it. Let everyone see who they are. Holy Spirit, we need you right now. I need you every minute of every hour of every day to help me to walk this out, to understand it, to hold on to it. I pray you'd fill those that are not filled to overflowing with the Spirit, with the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Let this be a time that we go out in joy, telling people about the Lord, that he's coming back. The king is coming. Get excited. There's going to be a banquet. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. You want to come? I can get you in. I know the person throwing the party. Lord, we love you so much. You are our hope. No despair, no hopelessness, no darkness, no emptiness. You. You are everything to us. I pray all these things, Lord. I pray them from my heart. In Yeshua's name, amen. Let me leave you with this. There is no condemnation. If you've been fooled, if you've been deceived, if you've tripped up, there's no condemnation. Put it under the blood. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to teach you, to fill you, and just move on from it. You're important. Remember, I started out with little children. You're important to him. Never forget that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.